And we'll be in Genesis chapter 6 today. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we just sang that from the beginning of our life until the day when we take our last breath, that we would worship your name, the holy name of you. Dear Heavenly Father, may we not take those things lightly, what we just proclaimed with our, with our mouths. May we understand that our, the call the call in all of us is to be faithful and to worship you and you alone. To not be called up with the idols of this world, the idolatry that so quickly calls us to worship self. And may we truly reject that to worship you and you alone. Give us a high, God-centered understanding. Forgive us for the times we are so man-centered in our thinking that we make man out to be God and we remove you from your throne and we think that we somehow are the top dog in this world. So help us to remember that it is you and you alone that we are to worship. You and you alone we are to praise. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, it was 2009 when a woman named Lady Antebellum wrote a song where she wrote the song, I Run to You. Now, I doubt she knew that in 2023 that the chorus of that song would fit today's text perfectly. Where the chorus goes, this world keeps spinning faster into a new disaster, so I run to you. I run to you, and then she says, baby. When it all comes undone, baby, you're the only one I run to, I run to you. Now, it's interesting, if the world was literally going to go into a new disaster, and if the world was going to be completely falling undone, I don't know if I'd run to the babe that she is talking about for help. If the world literally was going to fall apart, I don't know what her boyfriend is going to do if everything is crashing and going apart. Well, at least they're together, I guess, and can hold hands as it all burns up. But it's interesting, this whole idea of the world spinning faster to a new disaster And when we see it all becoming undone, it's amazing what we see in the text of Scripture here, what happened before the flood. You could literally say the world was spinning faster even to a disaster and everything was coming undone. And so what is the response? And it's interesting in today's passage, we will see the disaster, but we'll also see the faithfulness of God. So let's look at our text in front of us. We'll be looking at Genesis 6. Now hang on to your seat, verses 9 through 22. We will get through Genesis in my lifetime. So here we go, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence. Through them, Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. The breadth, 50 cubits. The height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. Or behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under the heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall 
Come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kind, and the animals according to their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort, you shall come into them and keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now, as we look at this and as we see, as the title of today's message is The Faith of Noah, what we need to stop and look at first is the depravity of man that is going on in the world. Now remember, and this is something that we need to, we need to think clearly of, we need to not think that after the fall happened, the world was still somewhat good and it just kind of got really bad. When the fall happened, the world went from good to evil. All right, Evil is abounding. And it's only by God's grace that we even had a faithful remnant through the line of Seth. All right, That mankind in and of itself is rebelling against God from the moment that Adam and Eve rebelled against Almighty God. And in the pre-flood world, though, we see the description of going on. And I'm going to pop back to verse 5, but look at these descriptive words. In verse 5, we see not only is the wickedness happening, but we see the idea of great wickedness. Even on, it says that every intention of the heart is evil. Not only do we have wickedness, we have great wickedness. The intentions of the heart of man is continually evil. We go over to verse 11, where we see this happening again. Now, another statement of the fact of what's going on in the pre-flood world. Verse 11, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. Meaning God made a judgment on the earth. And what did he find when he judged the earth looking at it? Corruption. Not only that, in verse 11... It goes on to say, we see this corruption. We, the earth is literally filled with violence. Violence not just happening in one small little area. Violence upon violence upon violence. And then we even get down to verse 12. God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. All right, if you're following here, this is what the word of God is telling us. Wicked, evil, corrupt, filled with violence, all flesh corrupt. You think it's trying to make a point? All right, like it went out of its way to reiterate this over and over and over again. In a running joke in our family, when someone keeps bringing it up over and over again, we go, you seem to be a person of one thought, aren't you? All right, because that's all you talk about. All right, but what we see here is the Word of God's walking through this. This same verbiage that we see, the corruption of man, is the same verbiage that, if you turn with me over to Romans chapter 3, it's the same thing that Paul here summarizing a couple of the Psalms, in Romans chapter 3, shows us what life is like even after the flood and the similarities that are going on. If we listen to the verbiage that we just read pre-flood world, we're going to look at now at Romans 3, we'll start at verse 9 going through verse 18. What then, are Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already been charged that both Jew and Greek are under sin. As it is written... None is righteous, no, not one. None understands, none seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Venom and asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. When we think of the idea of sin and its impact on the world, we need to think of the idea that the fall, when it happened, impacted everything down to the very core. 
And this is why when we think of the idea of depravity, we talk about it in its total form. When we think about this, I want to go down through as we even look at mankind, because mankind, if you want to say it, is made up of body, mind, and will. How has sin impacted man to the very core? His body gets sick and dies because of sin. Even though you may be able to take a little pill, all that is doing is curing you of the thing that could have killed you, but you will find out your days are numbered and you're going to do what? Besides pay taxes, die, all right? And you will pay more taxes than you needed to, but guess what? You only can die once, all right? But even in that, because of the impact of sin, not only has sin impacted our physical bodies, it has impacted our mind as well. This is if you look through Proverbs. What do we see? We see the foolish man and we see the wise man. And what are we by nature, the Bible calls us? Wise or fool. We are a fool and we will seek after foolishness. That doesn't mean we don't think. What that means is that sin blinds us to our own real need. And we'll see a couple of passages of Scripture here as well. So our bodies get sick and die. Our minds, even though, yes, we can still use them to think. And even in a sinful world, man still comes up with incredible ways to use what God has given us. Sadly, what do we do with them? We come up with atomic energy, and what do we like to do with it then? Blow each other up, right? And we come up with all of these other things, and all we do is use our minds for more depraved thinking instead of using it for the glory and honor of God. Not only that, but our wills are corrupted as well. Not that man does not make decisions, but even his decisions, his will is bound by sin. Turn to 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians 2.14. If you're looking for 1 Corinthians, it is right before 2 Corinthians. And so we will all be there shortly. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. This is Paul here speaking to the church in Corinth. And he says, the natural person... The natural person is a person who has not been redeemed by Almighty God, not a saved person. This is why the, I, Jesus, when he was talking to Nicodemus, you must be born again, because the natural person, here's some things that they cannot. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. That doesn't mean he doesn't understand them. What does he not do? Accept them, and we'll find out why. For they are folly to him. That means the natural man understands what is happening, but how does he respond to them? Does he see the wisdom of God as great, or what does he see the wisdom of God? Foolishness, all right? That means he is rejecting it. And it goes on, he is not able to understand them because they are not spiritually discerned, meaning that there is a blindness that happens to man. That is why when we talk about redemption, we talk about this incredible change of a new birth, that the old is gone and the new must come. It's interesting, though, this pattern of looking at the Word of God and calling it foolishness is not something that just happened post-flood, it happened pre-flood. We'll see this happening as well. When we think about the depravity of man and the pattern of man, I want you to turn to now not Corinthians, but this is an Old Testament. Let's turn to 2 Chronicles, and let's look at the pattern of mankind. 2 Chronicles 36, 16. 2 Chronicles 36, 16. And like I said before, this 2 Chronicles is right after 1 Chronicles. That's one of my favorite things I like to tell my kids when they say, Dad, it hurts when I do this. I always like to tell them, don't do that then. 
So look at verse 15. The Lord, God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. What do we see in the heart of God right there? Of 2 Chronicles 36, 16. Verse 15 says, The Lord, the God of our fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of God rose against his people and there was no more remedy. What do we see about mankind? God in his great grace and mercy is calling man to repent. And what does man do? Mocks the messenger mocks the whole thing, and we see a time where God has said, my long-suffering is long, but it is a time where judgment will come. And we see here, in the text, again, like we have said multiple times, as we see the depravity of man, the doom and the gloom of this should be playing loud. Remember we talked before, we're going to get a line of the Shire music, the beauty of, the, of what life should be like, and the beauty of this is seen that with Noah and his family. But it's not a perfect, we'll get that perfect Noah one day will come, but we see the inkling going on here. This is why we see point two, the faith of Noah. Despite of all of the depravity of man, God is doing his work, and he's doing his work in the life of Noah. Now last week, we saw, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And it's interesting, it's in, my, in our own family, there's a, there's a song by the Statler brothers where it literally says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I, asked, I showed it to Caleb this week and said, maybe we should have sing this as a duet, but you need four parts, you need a guy that can really drop low in the bass. And I'd encourage you, if you want to YouTube that, it's a great song that we could never pull off. It's just one of those fast, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And by the time you're done listening to it, you will know that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, because that's what they say about 80 times. But in this song here that we see is the beauty of God's salvific plan carrying forward no matter what the world hurls at it. No matter how depraved the world get, God's plan will continue on, and we see it in the life of Noah. So let's go down through and just look at the words used to categorize Noah's life. In verse 9, we see that he was a righteous man. It says the idea of righteousness literally means morally correct. Notice he goes down on and it says, and he was blameless in his generation. The word blameless means without blame, all right? And you keep moving on. It sounds like Noah, pretty great guy here. But notice the verbiage, though, that should cause you to pause there for a second. And it says, Noah was blameless, righteous man blameless, and Noah walked with God. Immediately, as scholars of the Bible, as we think through this, we go, I've heard that said before. Does anyone know in Genesis where that was said before? Enoch. Enoch walked with God. This should be a reminder of ourselves. What is a pattern of those who are followers of God? What do they do? Walk with God, all right? And so as we see this being played out, we see a follower of God is someone who follows God, and you go, well, what does that mean? It's someone who obeys God. God says it, they obey it. All right, this is not rocket science. But now we have to ask ourselves, because when you're reading this, Noah's a righteous man, blameless in his generations. If you're not careful, you can make it sound like Noah was a super Christian. All right? He was blameless means without blame. Tim, you said that means without blame. So now, if you're not careful, you make Noah out to be perfect. Sanctification, perfect sanctification will happen in glory. All right? It does not happen here. You never get to the point where you will not sin. 
All right, we are sinners. Now, will you say, so what does it mean to be blameless? And you said, well, Tim, when words mean make sense, they mean to make sense. It means he is blameless. He didn't do anything wrong. And I would go, let's pause for a second. This is what you do when you study the Bible. You say, are there any other passages of Scripture that use this same phrase? Well, I'm glad Joe prayed about it. We are looking at nominations. And in 1 Timothy 3, 2, one of the qualifications of an elder is he be blameless. And that's why you called Allison and said, have you ever seen Tim sin? And she said, no. And that's why you brought me on as your pastor. No. All right. You know, then it's clear that it does not mean perfection. What the word blameless means there is that an elder's lifestyle must be characterized by one who is without blame. And you go, what does that mean? We'll dig into this further. This elder or even Noah's wife was characterized by a desire to follow God. And what it means by blameless, it means quick to repent and characterized by a life of obedience and repentance before God. That when the Holy Spirit is working in that person's life, they are quick to see their error, they are quick to repent, and in a way then live blamelessly before others. And if someone were to blame them of something, what would they be quick to do? Ask for forgiveness and repent. This is the concept of this. It's not saying that Noah was completely perfect and never did anything wrong. But we'll see why the Bible calls him a righteous man, and we'll see why you can even say he walked blameless in his generation. Turn with me to Hebrews 11. I know we're flying all over the, past the Bible here, but hang tight with me. Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we have the, what we would consider to be the hall of faith. And in here, it starts with Abel and goes all the way through. But the next one, of course, is going to be Noah here that it talks about. And in Hebrews eleven seven, 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events he had yet unseen. So God comes to Noah and says, I'm going to destroy the earth. Has Noah ever seen God destroy the earth? No. Has Noah ever seen a flood, global flood? No. Has he seen rain? I would argue no. All right? All of these things he has yet to see. So this means that God is telling him this is going to happen. So how does he respond? In reverent fear constructed an ark for saving of his household. He heard what God had to say. And what did he do? Because he had reverent fear for Almighty God, which is showing he made a morally correct, if you want to call it, righteous decision, right? But it was a choice. Obey God or disobey God. And in his generation, he was obedient to God. As his text is going down. And it says, In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, notice what he did. By obeying God, what was he doing to the world around him? Condemning the world. By his obedience, he is actively rebuking the world for their actions. By obeying God, condemning the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. How, why is Noah a righteous man? Not because of anything in himself other than the fact that he obeyed God. God said it, and he obeyed it. This is the walk of faith and trust. This is how faith and works function. It's God said it, and we, we see by our actions that we actually have the faith that causes us to respond. Noah was an heir of righteousness. And we see this air of righteousness that he was, was because the faith seen in Noah's life is seen by the fact that he obeyed God. The last 
literally phrased, after we walk down through all of the measurements of the ark, the beautiful thing it says, and Noah did this, he did all that God commanded him. Down to the very letter of what God had said. Not only this, but Noah came from a line of men who trusted in the promises of God. Uh, Caleb talked about this, but I'll bring it up again. His father Lamech, when Noah was born, Lamech was 182 years old, and he fathered his son Noah. He said, called his name Noah, because out of the ground the Lord had cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Because Lamech is saying, I know that God has cursed the earth. Why? Because Adam and Eve and all of the, the faithful line had told their kids and their kids and their kids that God has said He will curse the earth. And we're seeing the earth cursed. And he's saying that out of this promise, the promise of Genesis 3.15, that a Redeemer will come, that will alleviate our stress of all of these things, has been passed down generation after generation after generation. They did not know it fully. They did not in their mind go, oh, His name's going to be Jesus Christ. He's going to be born in Bethlehem and blah, blah, blah. They did not know that. But what did they do know? That God had promised it, and He who has promised is faithful and just to, to do what He has said. And so this is what they're doing. And so when it comes to Noah, Noah hears from God, this is going to happen. And what does Noah do? He does what God had told him to do. I mean, again, as I like to go before, Christianity is not hard to understand what to do. It's hard to actually what? To do it. Because we have this wonderful thing called the flesh that gets in the way. And so as we look at Noah's life, I love the phrase, he was blameless in his generation. Because what that means is Noah is living out of step with the world, yet in step with God. One of the reasons that caused Noah to be blameless in his generation was his walk with God. Out of step with the world, yet in step with God. It's a beautiful picture of the Christian walk. Now, it's interesting. I want to make sure we're careful. The Christian walk is not this. Find out whatever the beat the world's walking to and just walk one step off that beat. That's not how we live the Christian walk. We live the Christian walk by walking in step with God and by doing that naturally, you are then out of step with the world. The world is not our litmus standard. The litmus standard is walking in step with God and God alone. But the temptation can become so deep in our own lives that as long as we're somewhat not like the world, as long as we're weird by just being weird's sake, we think that we are out of step with the world and in step with God. No, you're just weird, all right? Now let's just... Call a spade a spade, all right? And sadly, we going, our, our role is our walk with God and being in step with Him. Just an interesting side note, that yes, we see the obedience of Noah, but in verse 10, sometimes I think we skip through this. Because Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then we go down through, then the world was corrupt and everything else. You know there was also three young men and wives who also followed God as well. Because how do we know these people also followed God? They helped build an ark. And what did they do? They went into the ark with their father Noah. All right, and so I want to make sure we're clear on this, that we are following God, but each person has to make their own decision, because Noah is coming to them and saying, we're going to build this thing. What do these guys do? We see their faith by doing what God had called them to do. Now, we're going to see in this passage here an interesting back and forth of verbiage. We're going to see a promise of judgment and we're going to see a promise of salvation. And a beautiful, the way the Bible speaks, and I think we need to see this very clearly. So, 
if you like to underline things, we're going to look at the promise of destruction. Look at verse 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. So God here is promising that He has done what? He has made a decision. All flesh is going to die. Keep reading. Behold, in verse 13, Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. What is God saying? I may do this. He's promising. I've made a determination. I will. Verse 17, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. There's a promise there. Okay, this is why I would argue for all of those who like to get wrapped up in the idea that the flood was local, you're, you're, you're nuts. I'll just, it's not biblically speaking. All right? God is going to kill what? Everything. And everything means everything. All right? To the point where if you're not in the boat, you're dead. All right? This is what God is promising. Okay? Uh, there's other massive issues if you're going to argue local flood. Other than like the rainbow and everything else that God has given us in his word. Um, it may like to fit nicely with some things, but I would argue that's not what the Bible says. So notice all of these things. I will, I've determined, I will. But in the middle of it, here's our little music play. Look at verse 18. I want to pause here for a second before we get to that. Isn't it interesting of our ignorance of the pre-flood world and God's judgment that many times, sadly, we put in like kids' worlds one of the most disastrous, sin-altering life, destruction things, and we make these nice, cute little arcs, and you understand, like, uh, that was worse than any atomic bomb that ever blew up, anything else, that man's rebellion was so great, and we kind of, like, soften the blow. I pray that we never soften the blow of this, that God looks upon mankind and says, the evil in mankind is so great that this is the way to destroy all mankind, and not try to soften the blow of the judgment of God. Because if we soften the blow of the judgment of God, we also soften the blow then of how beautiful salvation truly is. So let's look at verse 18. Notice he says, But I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark and your sons and your wives that are with you and every living thing. And he goes down through and talks about the animals that will come. Just like he has promised judgment, he promises what? Salvation. It's interesting, though. The judgment has been sounded. Mankind must be totally destroyed. But a couple of points we need to understand. That God is going to act, and yet, what does He do? In the building of the ark, we see an incredible, gracious time of repentance for man. Where we see this beautiful picture of God saying, the judgment has come in, but because I am a long-suffering and a gracious God, I will give mankind ample time. To confess. 2 Peter 2.5 talks about how Noah being a herald of righteousness. What he's heralding is literally calling the world to, from, away from sin to repentance. The call of Noah is one of continual repentance. And this call of repentance is something that I think we need to make sure we understand because we live in that day as well. 
We live in the time period of repentance, this long suffering of God. And we sit there and go, why does it seem that judgment has not come down? And I would argue judgment has come down. We have yet to see the ultimate consequences of it one day when his son returns. But judgment has come down, but not in the way we would like to see it at the moment. And so in those moments here, before we wrap up and start bringing it, I want to make sure we don't miss verse 22. All of the things that were given to them, all of the commandments that were given to them. God tells them, here's what you're going to do, build it this way, that way, how many cubits and feet and everything else. Have you ever been down to the replica of the ark? By the way, that's not the ark, that's a replica of the ark in, down in the southern parts of the United States. You saw that it would not have happened overnight, all right? And so as these men are doing this, this is an open rebuke to the world around them that God's judgment is coming. God declares judgment. He decrees it. Noah obeys. We do not see Noah sitting there by saying, God, let me tell you, this is a better way of doing it. What does, God, and what does Noah do? He obeys. And he does all that God has commanded him to do. So when we think of what did we learn today about all of this? So Noah had absolutely no control in history when he was born. Noah did not say before the foundation of the world, God, why don't you have me born on this time? Neither do you. All right? You have no control over when you were born. Some of you may think you have like, I came a minute early or I came late or whatever, but that's not what I'm talking about. Yet we are called, just like Noah, to live a godly life. In step with God, and out of step with the world. The Christian walk is one of a life of trust and following Him. I want to pause here for a second because I think many times we can become so naive of what is going on around us. Because sadly, many of us, it depends on where you work, it depends on who you hang out with and everything else. Like to give you an example, like the sin of the world of like the pressures of let's say like the LGBTQ world, I don't face in my workplace. All right, it's Caleb and Dana and I. All right, like I don't get pressure from Caleb in June to give in with the world. All right, so you may sit there and go like you're kind of softened from the world. All right, but here's what's going on, and I think we need to be very, 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 very clear. Lately, a what I would argue, at least a man who claims to be a follower of God was put in a position of authority in the United States government, which we are citizens of. And there are people that were saying, as he actually says, if you want to know what I believe, follow, it's it found in the Bible, and listening to the world, not just say those are some old things, literally say, one person said this, this person was at the powerful position to literally be in the charge of the press of the White House at one time, literally said the most dangerous thing, the most dangerous thing, I want to help you out, the most dangerous thing that individual said was that he follows the Bible. Do you understand that that person in power is talking about you and talking about me? That one of the most dangerous things is to have a group of people who follow the Bible. We are very close to seeing incredible persecution upon the church. We are seeing it already, but it is right down behind us. And many of us have bought the lie of Satan to start thinking it really isn't that huge of an issue coming at us. And I would call you, wake up, it's all around us. We are living in the days of Noah. 
We are living in these moments right now where you're going to go, will I find help in this world? And you're going to go, the world literally is apt to malign you. We are becoming the minority every single time, but that does not change the fact that the truth is not up for a cultural vote. The truth is the truth no matter what. We don't run in fear. What did Noah do? One more nail. One more board. All right? One more time he says to his sons, go for wood. All right? That's why they built it with go for wood, because he kept saying to his sons over and over, go for wood, go for wood. And what did they do? Every time they went for that. What do we know? That was a sign of faith that they were trusting God in these moments. And so what we do is, and here's what can happen. So quickly, we can run in fear and say, I don't know what's going on right now. And I would argue, guess what? Noah's going to go. I don't know what's going on right now either, but I have faith in what? What God said was going to happen is going to happen. That this rain that he promised and the flood of the earth is going to happen. Noah, I can guarantee you, was not sweating it out saying, where is he going to get all the water? All right, Noah and his sons were probably not arguing over canopy theory. They were probably not arguing over, is it going to come from the deep? Is it going to come from the this? Where there are super hurricanes that are going to create the water. He was not stressing over that. Nor were they stressing over, how are the animals going to come? Because what did God do? He brought them to them. And Noah, what he did was, he said, here's what God had called me to do, and how, how are you to live in an evil world? Obey God. And as you obey God, his work will continue through. So when we look at ourselves, what is the call of Noah? When we read passage of scripture like this, the call of Noah is this, repent and believe. If you are sitting in this room and you do not know Christ, I would argue today is your day of salvation. Repent and believe the good news. Turn to Christ today while there is still time. When evangelists looked to Christian, as this Christian was reading the book in the Pilgrim's Progress book there that you've all read and memorized. And so as you're reading through this, Christian is seeing the weight that he is literally living in the city of destruction. And what is the call? Run from the city. And as Christian is running, what does he do? He puts his fingers in his ears so he does not hear the call of the world trying to call him back because he was so convinced because God had brought him under conviction that he must run to him and him alone. That is the call of the gospel. Run to Christ and Christ alone. Because each, we live right now in the long suffering of God in the city of destruction, calling man to run to Christ and to Christ alone. If you're in this room right now and you're a believer, your life should be that of Noah, who, pointed him, who points us to God, that we are to live a life of repentance, lived out literally believing what we believe. Because here's the crazy part. Back to that analogy of the guy that says he follows the Bible. Here's what's crazy. The world likes the Bible. I'll be honest, they like it. They just don't like people who actually believe what the Bible teaches and lives it out. You can have your Bible over there if you want. Don't just live out the principles found in the Word of God. Because here, the question is, yeah, you say you believe it, but we as Bible-believing people are not able to pick what we want from each part of it. We either believe it all or we reject it all. And this is what's in front of us each time when we have the commands of God that are clear. This is what we must teach our kids. This is what must be the call. Repent and believe while there is still time. Because judgment is coming on the earth. That is the call of every believer to a lost and dying world. I would encourage you to stand boldly in these moments, to not waver. When the world attacks, 
We do not need to stoop to their level and attack like they attack. We stand firm on the Word of God. We need to think like this. When, we st- when a lighthouse stands proclaiming the truth that there are rocks ahead, do not come this way. When waves crash against the lighthouse, does the lighthouse respond back? No, the, white, the lighthouse does not go, hey, stop hitting me, because the lighthouse is firm on the rock that it has been made. The lighthouse, what does it do? Warns, continually warns, until, if you want to call it, until its last breath, until that light burns out and needs to be relit. May that be our call. Not as an arrogant group of people that think we know it all, but a group of people that says, repent and believe the good news. There's going to be so many things coming along the way that are going to want to divide us, so many things that are going to cause us to want to move this way or go that way or think about this, but I would argue our number one unity, our number one call, the thing that kept Noah, Shem, Japheth, and his sons together was what? God said it, and they were going to obey it to the very letter of what he had said because they had faith and trust in God and God alone. So may it be said about CBC that instead of he, they say they did all that God had commanded. Dearly Father, help us, we pray. There's so many things in this world that can so easily distract us, so many things in this world that can cause us to lose our hope. So dearly Father, as a church body, this coming week as we celebrate Thanksgiving, may we not just be thankful for some ambiguous thankfulness, but when we understand that the only reason we can be thankful is because you are a good and gracious God, that you have given us far more than these rebellious creatures ever deserve, that you and your great grace have not consumed us while we were yet sinners. Help us as believers to truly be thankful, and in that thanks call a lost and dying world to repent. We ask these things in your Son's name we pray. Amen.